The Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. But everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called, to, called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the gospel of our Lord. So last week's reading, it ended with a spooky question as sometimes... Um, these gospel readings have been a little spookier as the weather changes uh, into coldness, though not today, right? It ended with Jesus asking, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yeah, he will. Because he'll come back and he'll see you guys standing, praying, just as he said in his parable that he taught. He'll see you worshiping. He'll see you receiving communion. He'll see you and be like, ah, my baptized brother or sister. But here's what's interesting. He will also find it in the most unlikely of places to us, not to him. To us, because he's going to find faith among infants and tax collectors. Tax collectors, of course, were hated in Jesus's time. Um, People were really upset that Matthew or Levi, that he was called to be a disciple of Christ because he was a tax collector. He would have uh, been seen as someone who is a traitor a traitor of his fellow Hebrews, 
because he was collecting taxes for the Roman government that was, you know, uh, watch or uh, set up over uh, the Israel at the time. But more so in our own time today, I think, I don't know, I don't think IRS uh, agents or anything are like seen as, you know, bad people uh, by us today because, well, unless, I don't know, unless you're amongst a very specific uh, segment of the population that kind of died down in the 60s and 70s. Um, However, I think more so in our day, the ones who are dogpiled the most by most Americans are babies, infants. Um, Americans like to say all the time, thank you, God, I'm not like this infant. I know lots of stuff. I can have faith. I've made a decision for Christ. It's too bad. So thanks be to God in our gospel reading today, Jesus breaks through all that and he declares to the he declares the repentant tax collector to be righteous and holy and he also touches infants and he gives them faith, life, and the forgiveness of sins, just like you receive when Jesus touches you. In the temple, back then, there was a morning prayer and an evening prayer, a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. So, you know, if you were a good Jew, you would go to the temple in the morning and the evening. You would watch them sacrifice this sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins And you would intently have faith that this sacrifice forgave your sins, paid for your sins. And that's probably where the Pharisee and the tax collector, what they were there for that day. They wanted their sins to be forgiven. But the Pharisee was not looking for or asking for forgiveness while he was there. He was not specifically looking for it. He didn't think the sacrifice was for him. Which would mean Jesus wouldn't be for him. Because he considered himself to be a good person. You know, 51% of the time, I do the right thing. He would point to the fact that he's a Pharisee. That people love him. He's cool. He's above everyone else. Or he would point to the things that he does in his life. He says he fasts twice a week. He says he tithes, not only on what he gives, but the things that he buys. He also gives 10% of that. Which is what a good, pious Christian should do. But he trusts in those things to say that he is without sin. And Jesus says... I did not come to save the righteous, but sinners, to seek and save the lost. And so the tax collector, he tries his best to be inconspicuous. He doesn't stand in front of everybody and scream out his prayer. No, he is beating his chest in repentance. 
this is crazy. So they do, they beat their chests a lot in the Old Testament. But only here and in one other place, in all of Greek literature, do people beat their chests in repentance. The other time, besides the tax collector beating his chest, saying that he is guilty of his sins, have mercy on me, the only other time that that happens is after Jesus dies on the cross. And the crowds go away feeling full of regret for having participated in crucifying Jesus. They beat their chests in repentance. I have killed Jesus. And that's why in many historic liturgies, and you can even do this yourself if you want, I always forget, when we confess our sins, many Christians beat their chest in repentance. Uh, You may remember it as mea culpa, mea culpa, or through my own fault, through my own fault, through my own grievous fault. Reorienting what's going on in your life And saying, it's my fault. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the prayer of the tax collector. Or as we say at the beginning of service, Lord, have mercy on me. Christ, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. The same words. The tax collector recognizes his sinfulness before God. He confesses it. And he humbly has faith intently that this sacrifice for his sin will forgive him of his sin. Because ultimately he's waiting for the Messiah, the ultimate one atoning sacrifice. And that's why Jesus says the tax collector goes away justified. Justified. It means to be declared righteous, like in a courtroom. To be declared not guilty by the ultimate authority. In this case, God. So when Jesus says the tax collector goes home justified, it means that God himself, Jesus Christ, is declaring to the whole world, and you know, even to you guys right now in the public hearing of this word, he's saying to the devil who accuses constantly the righteous, he's declaring that this man and his simple faith in God's mercy has made him not guilty of his sin. But here's where things get weird. Immediately after, people, you know, having heard all of these parables and what Jesus has said is teaching, they begin to bring their infants and their children to Rabbi Jesus so that he might touch them and he might bestow his blessing, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness on them. But the disciples were trying to keep the infants away. Uh, like false teachers, like Pharisees, like demons, the disciples had become obstacles to the kingdom of God. Obstacles for those with simple faith to enter the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God is coming into this world daily through Jesus Christ's flesh. The kingdom of God, what you might know as heaven, comes into this world through Jesus Christ's touch. His words are sound waves that fly through the air, tickle follicles in your ears, are transmuted into uh, some sort of, you know, neurotransmitter that go into your brain. And you have been touched by Jesus's words. His water of life touches your skin in your baptism. His body and blood touches your tongue. And without a doubt, you not only know but feel you have received Christ's forgiveness. His finger touches your baby's forehead, and they are given life. Ultimately, Jesus' kingdom, heaven, comes through the sacrifice of Jesus' flesh on the altar of the cross, when forgiveness of sin and perfect sacrificial love is shown to all who hear of it and behold it. You just need to find out, was his sacrifice for you? Do you believe it? We pray and hope so, for that is how you receive the kingdom of God. Faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Being joined to his death and resurrection in baptism. Being joined to his death and resurrection in communion at the altar. God is here in Christ Jesus to save sinners, to make them not guilty, to declare they're not guilty by redeeming them. To be redeemed is to acknowledge that you are sinful before God and to just offer that up, a broken and contrite spirit, heart, soul, And God takes it and he creates in you a clean heart. It's wonderful. It's called the happy exchange. You give Jesus your brokenness, your hurt, your shame, your sinfulness. And he smiles and gives you his mercy, his peace, his love, his comfort. And because there's nothing that we can do to earn it, Jesus makes a a special case to show everyone multiple times that babies are the perfect example for who can receive and who must receive the kingdom of God. Who can receive heaven? Babies, why? Because they can't do anything of their own accord. They cannot choose to believe in Jesus' miracles or his teachings. They can't decide, hmm, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to follow Jesus. They must simply be brought to Jesus and touched by him. And so parents must move heaven and earth to bring the kingdom to their children. 
The disciples were probably rebuking people bringing infants, not because they didn't believe that infants could have faith. No, that was assumed. They were most likely keeping babies from being brought to Jesus simply because they thought they were a waste of Jesus' time, because they were helpless. They were the least of these. They can't get a job. They can't change their own diaper. None of that. They're completely reliant on mom and dad. No, they would never say that a baby can't have faith or uh, that a choice or a decision is needed to be saved. They knew that faith is a gift. In fact, they had seen when Jesus clears the temple in the Gospel of Matthew, the infants held in their mother's arms cry out loud, Hosanna to the Son of David. And it was so terrifying that the Pharisees were running around going, shut up the babies. This is freaky. Everyone is freaking out. How often do you hear adults crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David? So we need to make ourselves more like children to receive his kingdom. When they try to quiet the babies that are expressing their faith, crying out that Jesus is the son of David, Jesus responds to the Pharisees, out of the mouths of infants and babies, God has prepared praise, faith, thanksgiving, worship. Thank you, Jesus, for this everlasting promise that our babies, your baby, has faith. Why would the disciples not believe that, or why would the disciples just assume that babies can have faith? Because they had been living their lives for thousands of years with the ancient covenant of circumcision. Male children were to be circumcised on the eighth day of their life as a sign of God's promise to his faithful people that God will deliver them. And that's why in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that baptism replaces circumcision. He says, instead of circumcising your baby on the eighth day of his life or her life, baptize, or instead, of, yeah, instead of circumcising them on the eighth day, baptize them on the eighth day. Then the promise of a new life and the forgiveness of sins through faith once shown by circumcision is now extended to everyone, which is just marvelous. It's no longer just Hebrew boys. Now it's Hebrew boys and girls, Hebrew men and women, non-Hebrew, Gentile men, Gentile women, Gentile babies, Gentile boys, Gentile girls. Everyone receives this promise and salvific act of God in baptism, something more than a metaphor, a sacrament called baptism, which is given and commanded by Jesus. He says all Christians should be baptized as early as possible. 
Go into all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The name of the Trinity. For you. All of this is to say, Jesus said all of this. He gave us all this to just simply say, become like them. Become like infants. Become like children. They don't need to be like you. You need to be like them. Jesus says you must become like an infant to enter the kingdom of God. Perfectly humble. Unable to do anything on your own. Perfect and simple trust in the one holding you and giving you your daily bread, your daily food, your daily comfort. It begins by looking like mom who holds the baby and the baby leans and relaxes into mom. And then he begins to learn the same when the baby leans into and trusts in dad. And it slowly starts to ripple out from there to grandma and grandpa, to friends that come to see baby, to the Christians in their church community that take turns holding the newly baptized brother or sister in Christ. What a gift. Faith. Faith is a gift. Lean like a child on the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. He will hold you. He will feed you. He will comfort you. He will forgive you anything. He loves you and has made you his own. 